Welcome to this episode of the Leader Fluent Podcast. My name is Stephen Blandino, and today is a very special day for me because today we're going to flip the mic. My very good friend, Derek Moffat, is here, and today Derek is going to interview me. Derek is a longtime friend, a business leader, and a deeply committed follower of Christ. And the reason Derek is interviewing me is because today my brand new book, Stop Chasing Easy, releases. So we're going to get into the details of the book, and I think you're going to find it really helpful both personally as well as organizationally. Before we dive into the interview, you can learn more about Stop Chasing Easy at StopChasingEasy.com. And here's the thing. When you buy a copy of the book, you'll get access to three free resources. First, you'll get access to a four-part sermon series, which goes through the entire book of Philippians. You'll get a five-part small group study. And you'll get a very special masterclass for leaders. This masterclass is a four-part video series that helps you apply the principles and ideas in Stop Chasing Easy to a leadership and an organizational context. So I think it's super valuable. You're going to love it. And uh, and if Stop Chasing Easy sounds interesting to you, I want to encourage you to check it out today. It's been endorsed by some great leaders like leadership consultant Dr. Sam Chand, Hal Donaldson, who's the CEO of Convoy of Hope, Sean Lovejoy, Scott Wilson, and so many others. So I hope you'll check it out today at StopChasingEasy.com. So thanks again for joining us today. Now let's jump into an interview as Derek Moffat interviews me about Stop Chasing Easy. Well, Stephen, it is such a pleasure to be here uh, with you this morning and, and talk to you about your great book, Stop Chasing Easy. You know, we've known each other for 15 years, and in that time, you've written five different books, uh, and, and all of them are great. Uh, I've read them all, and they're fantastic, but I'm curious, what inspired you to, to write Stop Chasing Easy? Derek, a few years ago, I was um, I was reading through the book of Philippians, and I was actually reading it in the message paraphrase, and uh, something really jumped out to me when I was reading that I hadn't really thought about before, and that is that Paul is sitting in prison, chained to a Roman guard while he's writing this letter, and yet the what he's writing doesn't make sense when you compare it to the situation he was in. In other words, here he is in prison, and yet he's saying things like, I give thanks, um, I rejoice, I've learned to be content in all circumstances, like things that you wouldn't expect somebody in prison to do. And it just completely didn't make sense in a way. And and while I was reading in the message paraphrase, there's a, there's a verse in Philippians chapter three where Paul makes a statement. He says, easy street is a dead end street. Yeah, that's and good. I thought, okay, here he is saying that. And he's certainly not living on easy street, living in a, in a prison cell. And yet he makes that statement and regardless of his circumstance, he's still choosing to respond with gratitude. He's choosing to respond without complaining. He's being content. And so that really jumped out at me. And I thought, wow, what does it take to make your life count even when life is hard? What does it take to avoid the lure of easy street whenever everything around you isn't easy and instead, you're going to take the high road and do things that really make a difference. And so I, I wrote the book really because uh, my desire is to help people 
to, who are tired of the empty promises of ease and comfort and security, uh, who, who really want to make their lives count, I want to help provide a roadmap to do that. And we discover it, I believe, in the Apostle Paul's letter to the Philippians. Now, that is, that is so good. You mentioned that the Apostle Paul said that Easy Street is a dead-end street. So exactly what is Easy Street? You know, Easy Street, I think, is two things. I think it's a mindset and an appetite. So, so think about it like this. It's a mindset that basically says, if it's easy, it must be good. And if it's hard, it must be bad. But Easy Street is also an appetite. It's an appetite that longs for uh, the temporal and gives little thought to the eternal. And so, it, you know, it's this idea that, that if we're going to avoid Easy Street, we're going to have to change our mindset mm-hmm. and change our appetite. Yeah, that's that's so good. You know, in that in that part of mindset, you talked a lot about the three types of gratitude. Tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so the Apostle Paul modeled three types of gratitude. He he, he modeled end thanks, another E N D end thanks, in thanks I N okay, uh, and for thanks F O R. So yeah. end thanks, in thanks, and for thanks, and each of those forms of gratitude get progressively more difficult. So end thanks, E-N-D, it's, it's all about giving thanks after something has happened. Mm-hmm. So for example, I might say, well, thank God that trial is over or right. thank God that class is done, right? It's over, it's behind us. And so when something has ended, that's when we give thanks. That's and that's, that's thanks. pretty easy. Sure. Yeah. Right? So the, the, the second type of thanks in thanks is where you're actually giving thanks in the trial yes. in the challenge. So like Paul talked about how he gives thanks in all circumstances. Mm-hmm. And that's obviously more difficult. But the the hardest form of thanks is for thanks, where you actually give thanks for, for the trial that yes. you're going through. And um, that sounds completely irrational and illogical. And I'll just be honest with you. There's no shame if a person is like, I'm not there yet. Like I can't give thanks for the trial. And that's okay. That's okay. Here's where I experienced this personally is I was reading, uh, well, several years ago, I I experienced um, uh, heart failure and pulmonary Mm -hmm. failure at the same time. My mitral valve ruptured unexpectedly and I ended up going to the hospital and had open heart surgery, was in the hospital for eight days. You were, I remember those days. I was right there. Yeah. And, uh, and so, um, uh, spent eight days in the hospital and then six weeks at home recovering. And I remember about three months after, um, experiencing that I was at home reading through second Corinthians and, you know, there's a passage where Paul talks in chapter 12 about the thorn, his thorn Mm -hmm. in the flesh. And, and I read it in the message paraphrase and it was something that stuck, struck me so powerfully because in it, he, he actually describes his thorn in the flesh as a, the gift, gift of a handicap, the gift of a handicap. And he talked about how, you know, he prayed three times that right. God would remove right. it. And, and each time God said, my grace is enough. It's all you need. And, and after that, Paul said this, he said, he said, I quit focusing on the handicap and began appreciating the gift. Wow. That's and, so good. And I just like, when I read that, I thought, oh, okay, time out. This is not normal, right? Like <laughs> who gives thanks for the, for the, for the, for the handicap? Who gives thanks for the thorn in the flesh? And it, it was in that moment that I just sensed the Holy Spirit nudge me and mm-hmm. say, Stephen, can you thank me for your heart failure? Wow. And to be honest, I, I thought, 
okay, wait, time out. That, a, that doesn't even sound right. B, I'm not even sure if theologically it is right. I mean, <laughs> there's that part you're just kind of having that self-doubt moment. And, um, but what I realized is what the Lord was, was, was saying was, Stephen, um, in thanking me for your trial, you're actually thanking me for the gifts I gave wow, to you so in good. the trial. Yes. And um, for Paul, that you know, when you read Second uh, Corinthians twelve, the gift he received was grace and strength. Mm-hmm. And so, whenever I went through that 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 season, that moment where I had heart failure and, and all of that happened, the gifts that I received were greater trust, greater perspective, um, an understanding of family and friends and a whole new dynamic. Like there were certain gifts God brought into my life that I would not have either recognized or appreciated the way I did after going through that experience. And so that's what four thanks is. It's saying, it doesn't mean that the pain is from God. It doesn't mean that he's the cause of the pain or the trial uh, because God's good. Right. And every good and perfect gift comes comes from from God. But God is so good that he also doesn't waste the pain. That's so good. I read that in your book and I underlined it and highlighted it. I thought that was a great statement that even in those times that are really, really hard and really challenging, God is so good that he redeems them by giving us these gifts. That was awesome. Now, your wife, Karen, had an interesting perspective on the gratitude journal that you talked about in the book. Tell me about that. So, yeah. So, you know, I talk about if you're going to cultivate this mindset of thankfulness that, you know, having a gratitude journal is a great idea. And, and with a gratitude journal, you know, you, you write down maybe two or three things each day that you're thankful for, and it just kind of keeps your mind focused in the right, right way. And so I issued this challenge to our congregation at Seven City Church a few years ago. And I remember during that, Karen told me, she said, um, I, I'm going to give thanks for two things, but I want to give thanks for something uh, that I can see and something that I cannot see. Mm-hmm. And I thought, Okay, that's that's interesting. I'll like that was explain. A great perspective. <laughs> yeah. Yes. So she said, she said, well, I want to give thanks for something I can see. In other words, something that's already happened that I can thank God for. She said, but I also want to give thanks to God for something I cannot see yet, but I'm praying and asking God to do. That is such real faith in trusting yeah. God to thank Him for something that you don't see yeah. today. And 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 the thing is, the thing about it is, in, in that scenario, then. Um, the gratitude journal becomes both an act of gratitude yes. and an act of faith. faith. It's both. And so that was just a fresh you know, perspective on gratitude that, that really challenged me. Yeah, I, I love that and, and thought that it was so good. So maybe there's a fourth level of gratitude. It's in <laughs> advance. Right. Thanks. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> you know, you talked about a second trade-off that's kind of related to our maturity. In fact, you said this, that we need to trade comfort for character. And I kind of said, ouch, when I first read that. <laughs> One of those character traits you talked about is trust. Tell me more about the role you think trust plays in making our lives count. So, you know, Derek, the longer I live, I think something that I'm realizing more and more is that uh, life is one long journey of learning to trust God more. And it's kind of like, you know, God, you, you begin trusting God in one area. And then as that trust grows, it's like a muscle as it, as it develops, then God says, now can you trust me in this area? Yes, and, right. and, and so it's one long journey of learning mm-hmm. to trust God. And so mm-hmm. whenever it comes to the idea of, of choosing to make our lives count, or we're not going to chase easy, but we're really going to make our lives count, not just today, but for eternity, that means somewhere in that journey, there's going to be some things God asks us to do that require us to trust him right? because it, it's a big step. It's a bold step. And so I, I like to compare it to 
to a, a diving board, like at a swimming pool. Um, I don't know if you ever did swimming lessons when you were a kid, but <laughs> my, my uh, mom, I remember she, she took uh, me and my, my brothers and, and sister to the pool and, you know, we did swimming lessons. And I remember like toward the end of our swim class, I remember our instructor giving us uh, this challenge to jump off the high dive. Like we had jumped off the low dive oh, yeah. like countless times, but now like this is the, you know, this is the big deal. So like can't, you know, anybody willing to jump off the high dive? So I remember I volunteered. And I, I climb up the ladder, and of course, from down in the water, it looks way closer to the water than when you're up on the board, right? So I get up on the board, and I'm standing on the edge of the board. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like a long way down, you know? I mean, I was, I don't know, you know, six, seven years old, yeah. something like that. And so yeah. so I, I remember um, I'm up there, and I'm like, wow, this is a long way. And, you know, eventually I, I step off, because I'm not about to go down the ladder of shame. You know what I'm talking about? Like, I'm not, I'm not going to go I made down. that climb right. down a couple times. <laughs> so, so I jump, and, uh, you know, and you go down, and you come up out of the water, and everyone's cheering, and it's great, right? I think trusting God's a lot like that, and here's how. I think God will oftentimes lead us to a place where it feels like we're standing on the end of a diving board. Right. And here's what's, here's what's so easy to forget. The same God who's behind us, nudging us to jump, is also waiting in the water for right, us to get good. there. Yes. In other words, yeah. he's here and he's there. And we often forget that because when you're on the edge of the diving board about to jump and do something big and bold and that's going to require faith and trust, like all we see is the fog between us and the pool. Like we don't even know what we're jumping into sometimes. Right. It just feels like there's so much uncertainty in the unknown. And yet we have to remind ourselves, okay, yes, the Holy Spirit is nudging me to take a step of faith to jump, but he's already there waiting for me to arrive. Right. And right. if I'll trust him, he's going to take care of me. Yeah, that's so good. You know, it made me think of a story similar in my life when I was taking swimming lessons. And, and I remember we went to the swimming pool and there was the swim instructor and he was having everybody jump into the water and I just wouldn't do it. And I was terrified. And so finally my dad gets in the water mm -hmm. and says, Derek, why don't you jump to me? And I jumped to him. Oh, that's and, the, so good. and the reality was I jumped to him because I knew my dad and trusted him. That's I didn't so know this good. other guy. Yeah. And it, it's, that's really what you're saying. Absolutely. It's not that we're just jumping off the diving board into somebody else or to no one else waiting for us. Yeah. We're jumping off that diving board to our Heavenly Father who's sitting Absolutely. there waiting on us. Perfect example. Yep. You know, one of the things I thought was really interesting in, in your book, you talked about the Paul's ability to see and serve the big picture. Uh, let's dive into that for a little bit. Yeah. So, you know, I, sometimes I like to compare it to a painting. Karen and I went to... Uh, the Metropolitan Museum in New York City a few years back. And, and uh, I remember when we went into the Met, you know, they've got all this beautiful art, all these different paintings, famous people and everything. And I remember, uh, it, it, you know, you see these pictures and it, what makes the picture make sense is when you see it from a wide angle lens, right? right? Like when you see the whole picture. If you get up close and personal to that painting, you see all the individual brush strokes, but you don't appreciate them like you do when you you take a few steps back and you see the big mm -hmm, picture. Mm -hmm. And I think one of the things that I that, that that I realized in that moment is that God is a master painter in our lives. And he uses all of these different brush strokes to create this this masterpiece, to create this painting of our lives. And here's here's the crazy thing. We're the ones that oftentimes hand him the paint to paint mm, with. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we hand him bland colors 
which are made up of our bad decisions, of things that we've said and done that we regret. Um, and then other times we hand him bold colors right. where that, that are full of adventure and excitement and everything. What's awesome about God is he has the ability to take all the colors we hand him, blend them together mm-hmm. to design and to create a masterpiece with our lives that makes the greatest difference. Our job is to see the big picture, picture. regardless of what paint uh, he's working with. And, and just recognizing that if I ever stop seeing the big picture, I'm going to get so focused on the brushstrokes that I'm not going to see correctly. Right. You've got to see correctly in order to respond correctly. Mm-hmm. You've got to be able to, 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 to recognize that if I live with everything up close, like we're, we're you know, it's kind of like whenever you're, um, it's like if you, you stood in front of a board, you know, where someone had drawn something on that board. If your nose touches the board, you can't see anything. Right. You don't have right. perspective. Yeah, when perspective. you take three steps back and see the whole thing, suddenly it's like, oh, this is what this is all about. God's at work in our lives, but we've got to see that work with the right set of lenses. Mm, yeah, that's so good. You know, you, you go on to talk about another trade-off, and, and that trade-off is really focusing on mission. And, and you say that rather than pursuing kind of a temporal mission in life, you challenge us to pursue an eternal mission. Tell me more about that. So this is where I think sometimes we get tripped up because when you talk about the idea of pursuing an eternal mission, sometimes it can feel so big that people can think, oh, that doesn't apply to me. That's only for the super spiritual people, right? That's only for those that, you know, uh, you know, the Billy Grahams of life, you know, the people that just, uh, the, the, the God's using them in this remarkable way. That doesn't matter to me. And, and so in the book, I, I talk about the importance of pursuing a mission that outlasts you, pursuing mm. a mission that's bigger than you. And I, I provide a framework that I think can help anybody in any situation, um, regardless of, of what their gifts are, to, to really make a difference. And so here's, it really starts with five questions. The first question is, um, what are my gifts? And when it comes to what are my gifts, basically you're kind of doing an inventory of how did God wire me? How did he gift me? Because whatever your gifts are, that's how you're going to make your greatest contribution to the world, right? So your gifts might be spiritual gifts, skills, abilities, uh, your knowledge, any influence you have, any resources God has entrusted you with. Like that's your toolkit in mm-hmm. a sense. That's your right. gift right. mix. Yeah. When you take time to understand what those are for you, then you can answer the, the remaining four questions. And those four questions help you figure out how to apply your gifts to a specific context. Mm-hmm. So for example, those four questions are, what need can I meet? What problem can I solve? What person can I help? And what beauty can I create? Yeah, I like that. And here's the thing. It doesn't matter like where you work. It doesn't matter where you live. It doesn't matter what the circumstances of your life are. You can answer at least one of those questions with the gifts God's given you. There's a need that you can help meet. There's a problem that you can help solve. There's a person that you can help. There, there's a there's There may be beauty that you can create because God's given you artistic gifting. Whatever it is, if we'll simply lay those four questions on our circumstance, I believe that's when our lives begin to count for somebody besides ourselves. It begins to count to make a difference that, that, uh, that matters to God and matters to the people around us. What I really like about that thought is that it's more than a role. I think a lot of times when we think about creating significance, we, we talk about 
uh, and you even talk about this in the book about, you know, fame, fame, yeah. uh, we think to be significant, we have to have a certain level of fame and everybody has to know it's got to be on this grand scale, or we have to have a title where the CEO of the company or we're the pastor of a church, or we have some role that we right. play. But this mindset here that you're talking about really doesn't have anything to do with titles and roles. That's right. It has to do with about our giftings and the needs and people we can serve in Absolutely. our everyday life. Absolutely. Because here's the thing. You know, we, we talk about like, you know, leaving a legacy when we die, right? And everybody wants to leave a legacy, but but what we often forget is legacy for a lot of people, they equate it with fame and it has nothing to do with fame. Yes. The truth is there are many layers of anonymity in legacy. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if we can get comfortable with that and recognize, no, it's not about me being famous or well-known, you know, I mean, it's not about any of that. It's simply taking the toolkit God's given me, my gifts, and saying, what need can I meet? Problem can I solve? Person can I help? Or beauty can I create? In whatever situation that is, that can be at home, it can be in my neighborhood, it can be at work, it can be in an area where God has given me, you know, opportunity or influence. Whatever, how can I apply it to that situation? You know, one of the stories I tell in the book is about Hal Donaldson, and Hal is the the CEO of Convoy of Hope, and and Convoy of Hope. I mean, they have what a great organization, yeah, incredible organization, yes. doing so much humanitarian work around the world. If you see something on the news that, like a natural disaster, maybe a a, a hurricane or a flood or a tornado or a wildfire, most likely Convoy of Hope is on the scene helping right, people. Right, right? it's in incredible. The of it. And so we can see things like that and think, oh, well, that's amazing. I could never do anything like that. Right. But what's incredible is Hal's story is, is one where, like, he was a journalist and um, he grew up in poverty and he, mm. was a, he, he became a journalist and he was just kind of focused on building his career and doing his thing. And it wasn't until he was overseas and had an opportunity to interview Mother Teresa for 20 minutes wow. that suddenly God did something yes. profound because he, he's interviewing her and then she asks him a question. And the question she asked him is, uh, you know, young man, what are you doing to help the poor? And Hal had to admit, I'm, I'm really not doing anything. <laughs> and she said something that changed his life. She said, everyone can do something. Wow. That's and, and it statement. wasn't, you know, it wow. wasn't words of condemnation yes. or chastising. It was just a, that gentle word of, hey, everybody can do something. So... So, you know, he comes back home and he starts loading up a U-Haul trailer and, <laughs> and distributing, you know, groceries and supplies to, to people in need. And that eventually evolves into this extraordinary organization today that's serving so many. Yeah. Here's the thing. We can hear stories like that and think, oh, well, I could never do that. The question isn't, could you ever do that? The question is, what is God calling you to do? Yeah. He may not be calling you to start a global humanitarian organization. He probably isn't, right? I mean, but... He is calling you to do something. Right. So in your context, in your situation, what need can you meet? What problem can you solve? What person or group of people can you help? What beauty can you create? Yeah, I think that's so good. And that just do something, you you may not know where it ends, but you can do something today. One thing, that leads to another thing. It's part of that trust. And God just begins to lead you down that journey. and, And you wake up after years and years and years of hard work and you've got convoy of hope that has now served, you know, people. And I also like that statement that mother Teresa, you know, the impact of just her words, her words were Mm -hmm. significant in that moment to to his story. It's so good. You know, 
One of the keys you talk about is fulfilling your mission and, and finding mentors that can help you. In fact, you talk about three gifts that mentors give us uh, when we're pursuing a mission. Tell me more about those. So mentors are extremely valuable anytime you decide, I want to stop chasing easy, make my life count, because suddenly you recognize like what I have isn't enough. I need the help of other people. And right. mentors are a big part of that. And so... I, you know, I've had different coaches and mentors in my life over the years, and I, I've come to realize the value they bring mm -hmm. and the specific mm -hmm. gifts that they offer. Three of those gifts, one of them, they all start with P, right? Here we go. One of them is pattern. And the idea here is that a healthy mentor models a pattern of healthy behavior. That's good. And, and so the idea is that, that, you know, if you can't trust the character of a mentor, you may not be able to trust their coaching. So, so, you know, it's kind of like whenever Paul said, uh, you know, pattern your, your life after mine, you know, do as you see me doing. And, and so that wasn't an arrogant statement, but, but he took responsibility to, uh, for how he lived. So if you're pursuing a mentor, make sure it's someone that yeah. like, their character you respect. In, in fact, he says, follow me as I follow That's right. Jesus. That's and right. so it, he was a mentor being mentored Absolutely. by someone else himself. Absolutely. So that's one of the gifts of a mentor is they've, they've got a pattern of behavior that is worthy of trust. Mm -hmm. The second gift of a mentor is perspective. And uh, the idea here is that they give you wise perspective on whatever it is that you're going through, whatever issue you're facing or challenge that, that, that you're dealing with. And the key is that that perspective is rooted in wisdom. So a good mentor is going to be able to provide perspective on your situation because we tend to be so close to, to, to what we're looking at. We don't see accurately. They're not emotionally engaged right. usually. And so they provide a wider perspective that helps you see correctly. Yeah. They help you step back. That's right. See that whole picture. That's right. The third gift that they give is permission. And uh, this is a gift that um, someone who coached me uh, helped me see, and that, that was Sean Lovejoy. Sean helped me recognize that one of the gifts of a good coach, of a good mentor, is they give you permission. And what he meant by that was that, that a, a good coach, a good mentor, gives you the confidence boost you need mm -hmm. to do what you need to do. It's not that you literally need their permission to actually you know, do something, but you know how it is. Sometimes when you're in the middle of something, it's so difficult. It's so hard. You start to, to doubt yourself. To doubt. Right. And, and you're just like, I'm not sure. Is this the right thing? And, and a good coach will say, you know what? You're thinking right. You're seeing this correctly. Go for it. Like they you, you they validate this. those Absolutely. thoughts and ideas and calls of God in your life. Absolutely. And, and kind of push you a little bit That's to, right. to fulfill them. Yeah. And, you know, I, I remember... Uh, uh, years ago, I, I read something that Rob Ketterling had written. He said, our relational circle has an effect on the direction and speed of our lives. Mm. And I thought, you know what? Every friend, every mentor, that they push you farther, faster. The only question is, which direction are they pushing you? Mm -hmm. And so if you've surrounded yourself with a, a, a circle of wise mentors, they're helping you move in the right direction and see the impact that you want to see. Boy, yeah, that's so good. We all need that. In fact, just the other day, you and I were in a conversation at lunch, and, and I told you, when I look back over my life, I see the most personal growth in my life is in the context of relationships mm -hmm. and the context of meeting with people and, and being mentored and encouraged and coached by people. And I exactly. think that's really what you're, what you're saying here. 
You know, the fourth trade-off that you talk about is movement. So we were talking earlier about, you know, Mother Teresa and just doing something. I think that segues so good into this idea of doing something in movement. And so instead of regressing back to Easy Street, you challenge readers to move forward with their God-given mission. Uh, What are some of the keys to moving forward? Yeah, so in Philippians chapter 4, we see some things that I think really speak to this. And uh, one of those uh, keys is, is unity or a unified team. When uh, Philippians chapter 4 opens, Paul, he addresses a situation that's happening in the church in Philippi between uh, two, two women in the church. He, he addresses a situation between Euodia and Sintiche, and, and he, he makes a statement. He says, uh, you know, settle your disagreement. And I think Paul understood that, that unity is critical to forward, to forward movement. And here's the reason why. Unity has a multiplying effect on our mission, right? Yes. If we're pursuing right. a mission that God has given us, uh, you can only do so much alone. But when we're united around that mission, all of a sudden our efforts, uh, you know, they, they multiply in a pretty extraordinary uh, way. In fact, one of the uh, one, one of the ways that I think we see that is in the book of Acts, you know, it, it says that those early believers were united in heart and mind. And what was the result of that? They shared everything they had. It says that all of the needs uh, of the people were, were met, right? right? So, right. so they were able to do together far more than any single one of them could do. And that, that spirit of unity allowed that to happen. And, and what's interesting is that that same unity, we see it um, at different moments in the church in some pretty remarkable ways. Back in, back in the third century, Christians were feeding more than 1,500 destitute people in Rome every single day. And, and what's interesting is Emperor Julian, who was an opponent of Christianity, uh, he wanted to revive pagan religion in the mid-300s, but he couldn't deny the united impact that these early Christians were having in Rome. Yes. And, and he said, they're, they're not only taking care of their own, they're taking care of, of ours, and we're not even doing that. So, so there's something, there's a multiplication factor that comes into play that helps you move forward more effectively whenever you're a united team. And I think that's just one of the things that we see in, in Philippians 4 that Paul emphasizes that's going to help us achieve our mission. Right. You know, in that discussion on unity, you, you talked a lot about selflessness. And uh, we live in a world of self-ease, and you're saying we need to be selflessness in our, in our leadership and in our, to move forward. Tell me about that. That's really counterculture. Yeah. yeah. In fact, there's a whole chapter that talks about you know, saying a selfless yes. And it's this idea that um, that if you're really going to accomplish what God has called you to accomplish, um, you have to say yes to that mission mm-hmm. every day. Now, there's a whole other chapter where I talk about focus, and and when it comes to focus, like you got to learn what to say no to. But every no is counterbalanced by a yes. Yes. Like you're saying no to one thing, so you can say yes to something else. That yes has to be a selfless yes when it comes to your mission. Because that's when you're going to, that, that, that's whenever you're willing to say, you know what, even when the price is high, my answer is yes. Yes. Even when the cost is big, my answer is yes. Even when this is going to be painful, I've got to make hard decisions. I've got to do things that, that are going to require sacrifice. My answer is yes. I'm not going to chase easy. I'm going to pursue a life that counts today and for eternity. And sometimes that means i got to say a selfless yes uh, whenever it would be far easier to retract and regress back to easy street. 
Yeah, I think we see that both obviously in the life of Paul and in Jesus that that they were said yes, a selfless yes, time and time again, and the impact from that is really significant. Right. And I think when it comes to building the unity on your team, your team will follow your lead mm. in that. In that absolutely selfless yeses. You know, wrapping up our discussion on, on movement in the book, I think that whole chapter or section where you talked about courageous prayers was so good because we're not in this alone. It's not just about our vision and our activities. We are in a partnership with God. And so dive deep into this courageous prayer thought that you had. Yeah. If you're pursuing something big, you need help beyond yourself. And so I think we've got to ask God for that help. I think we've got to be courageous in our prayers and our prayers have got to be more than God bless his food, right? Our prayers right. have got to be more than God just, just keep me safe, God. No, we've got to pray prayers where it's all on the line and we say, God, uh, you've got to come through for this to happen. And, and in the book, I talk about two prayers, two courageous prayers. One is, you know, God, give me boldness. Mm -hmm. and, and this comes straight out of the book of Acts whenever, whenever the early Christians were threatened their response, like Peter's response to, to the threats when they were told to stop preaching, their threats weren't, oh God, please keep us safe. Oh God, please don't let them hurt right, us. Right. Their prayer is, God, give us more boldness to proclaim your word. Right. And, and I think, wow, most of us in that situation would probably be tempted to say, oh God, please don't let them hurt us. You know, please protect us, God. Please, please, we'll stop. We'll be quiet. And, and Peter was like, nope. We're, we're turning up the heat, right? We're going we're, we're gonna to ask God to give us uh, the boldness to keep going and to proclaim what he's called us to do. So one is God, give me boldness. And I think as we're, as we're making our lives count, there are going to be those moments where we just say, God, I need your boldness not to retract, not to back down, but to continue moving forward with what you called me to do. Mm -hmm. The second prayer is God, do the impossible. Yes. And we forget sometimes that, wait a minute, we serve the God who did all those miracles we read about in Scripture. Like, like that's the God we serve, and He can do the same today. He is Still able to do today. immeasurably more than we can think, ask, right. or imagine. So how big can you think? Right. How much can you imagine? And ask God to do the impossible. I mean, there's one Scripture we, we read uh, in the Old Testament where, where the prayer is offered, and the sun stands still. Mm -hmm. Like, like, I can't think of a much bigger prayer than that. I mean, you know what I'm saying? That the sun actually stands still so that the battle can be won. If God can do that, what does he want to do today? But because we won't ask, it's like we limit him. Right, right. You know, I was thinking as you were talking about a friend of ours, a pastor friend of ours, who, who years ago, um, when he was in his probably mid-50s, talked about he realized he had become really risk adverse mm. in his ministry and that as he aged, he got more comfortable and more didn't want to rock the boat, so to speak. And yeah. so he kind of made himself stand up and start taking more risk yeah. uh, so that he could see God do those big things. And and you and I are, uh, you know, I'm approaching the big 5-0. You're a little bit over the big 5-0. <laughs> Talk to me about a minute to all of those of us that are in that post-midlife era where, you know, our businesses are good, our families are good, churches and ministries are doing well. How do we continue to be courageous in the second chapter of our life to see God do big things uh, for the rest of our lives? I think one thing that's so critical is recognizing you can't rest on success 
because God's still at work and desires to do something greater than your past success, greater mm-hmm. than what yesterday held. Like he's not just a God of, of, of yesterday, like he's a God of tomorrow. Yes. And, and so he's still birthing dreams. The question is, are we willing to dream? Are we right. willing to, to, to step into that? And you know, it, it's so true. The, the older we get, we do become more risk adverse because we, we, we think we've got so much to lose. Right. And yet, think about it. That's when you have usually the greatest wisdom, right? The greatest resources. Yes. It's whenever you have the greatest influence. It's when you have the most to offer. That's so good. So that's if so that's good. when you have the most to offer, why would you relax and pull back and say, "My best days are behind me"? Mm. No, they're not. Yes. The best you have to offer is in your hands right now. So what can you do to say, I'm going to step into the future with what, with with all this that God's given me that that, that has maybe taken 20, 30, 40 years to, 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 to build. How can I take that now and and leverage it for the good of others and to advance the kingdom and to bring God the greatest glory? Well, that's so good. That is so good. Well, after reading this book that you wrote in your fifties, it is definitely from a lifetime of lessons that you've learned, and, and you definitely have more to offer now than you ever have had before. And I know that because I've been your friend for 15 years and walked this journey with you. I'm excited about the book. I'm excited about the work that you're doing, and uh, I hope everybody runs out and buys it. In fact, Stephen, where can they buy the book? And then what? you've got some bonus features that they right. can have as well. Tell us about that. Yeah, so you can get the book at StopChasingEasy.com. And when you go there, you'll see the link to, to purchase it. And, um, and here's the great thing. When you buy the book, we, you, you get free three bonus resources. One is a four-part sermon series. So especially for pastors out there, this is going to be a huge value. It's a, it's a sermon series that goes through the book of Philippians. And, uh, and, and, you know, yes, it's based on the content of the book, but the book is based on the book of Philippians. So, so it's a four-part sermon series, the full manuscript, so you can take it and customize it to your situation. There's also a five-part small group study. So you can, either for personal reflection or with a small group you're meeting with, you can, you can uh, discuss the principles in the book. And again, that goes through the book of Philippians. But then the third resource is there's a master class for leaders. And the master class takes the ideas, the principles in Stop Chasing Easy and applies it to a leadership context and an organizational well, context. Good. And so there's four videos that come with that. There's an application guide to help you actually, you know, apply it. All of that, Derek, is free when you buy the book. And so it's, uh, again, you can get it at Stop Chasing Easy and it shows you kind of how to claim those bonuses and everything. That's so good. And that masterclass would apply to leaders that are in the church as well as leaders in other, you know, nonprofit organizations or businesses as well. It's really just a leadership principles based on uh, what you got out of the Bible here and and shared with us and Stop Chasing Easy. Absolutely. And here's the thing. If, if, if uh, everybody who buys a book, that they have access to that. But if you buy a quantity of the book, like if you buy a bulk uh, of 10 copies or, or more, um, you also get a digital copy of Stop Chasing Easy, as well as a digital copy of two other books that I've written. If you buy a case of books, which is 36 books, if you buy a case, not only do you get all of that, but uh, you also get a 60-minute one-on-one coaching appointment with me. We'll talk about anything you want to talk That's about. Great. And so um, all that, you can learn about it at StopChasingEasy.com and um, some great resources that we just wanted to develop that would be uh, helpful 
in, uh, in, in this journey. Yes. Well, Stephen, thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to come and talk to you about Stop Chasing Easy. And again, all you got to do is go to StopChasingEasy.com, find all those great resources that Stephen talked about. It's been wonderful uh, sharing your podcast with you today. Thanks so much, Derek. Good to have you. Well, I hope you enjoyed that interview, and I hope you'll get a copy of the book. Again, you can go to StopChasingEasy.com, purchase the book, and claim all the bonus content that comes with it. I know you'll be challenged by it. I believe you'll enjoy it, and I'd love to hear from you. If there's anything that really stands out to you, just uh, reach out to me on social media. would love to hear more about what you're learning and how the book is challenging you. And hey, would you do me a favor? Would you take a moment to rate or review the podcast? It really does make a difference, helps us get the word out out and would be so thankful if you take a moment to do just that. Well, thanks again for listening to Leader Fluent, and I look forward to connecting with you again next time where we'll learn more about leadership and how to lead in a way that makes the greatest difference.